0: I have a couple of announcements to share this morning. Uh, I already discussed the mask wearing and all of that, but uh, we want to uh let you know that the daily breads for the next quarter are in that's uh September through November. They're out on the table there and on the table on the other side of that wall right there so uh feel free to uh get one for yourself and we have enough that if you would like to pick up one for somebody that's not here or shut in or something like that feel free to take one maybe a friend or a coworker, and and uh, feel free to to do that as well um, in the way of our prayer needs this morning just uh i think this in general uh continue to pray for the breaking of this covid and uh Humboldt County seems to be extra stressed this uh, right now, so uh, we'll be uh, needing to just ask the Lord to break the cycle and, and bring healing to those who have experienced it. Uh, some of our uh, friends, of uh, uh, I was thinking of uh, Mason Lockwood and others, are having lung complications, uh, repercussions. Um, uh, Chris Burley, uh, I think uh, is another one. So just keeping those people in prayer, I'm sure you know more. Uh, and so as we uh, continue to go around, I'm, I'm just suggesting to people, I know it's a, a hassle to be wearing the masks and all of that kind of stuff, but the, the, the nature of the things, the way they are, I, I, I think we just need to be prudent, do the things we can to protect ourselves and our families and our church congregation. So thank you for putting up with it, and we appreciate it. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we do bring this COVID virus before You. And we do ask, Lord, that You would break its back and, and cause it to, to cease. Um, we know that it as it's going around that You would bring uh, strength and healing, break the cycle of passing it on. And uh, for those who have... Uh, contracted it and actually have it, we ask for a quick healing. And for those who are recovering, we ask for a clearing of their lungs. Those who have got scarring, we ask that You'd bring healing and just uh, touch them. And again, Lord, uh, we, we come to You in confidence, uh, knowing the God of all creation. We can plead Your mercy and Your grace over this. We thank You, Lord, as we have this opportunity to open Your Word together, that You would uh, open our hearts And again, uh, strengthen us in our walk with you and encourage us. And we ask, Lord, that as we do, uh, that you would speak through the words that you have uh, brought to my mind and words that I might be missing, that you would bring them to mind, that we all might be blessed through the opening of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The. uh, the book that we're looking at this morning is the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Um, it's not the last one that we'll be looking at. Next week we'll look at uh, First and Second Chronicles as a summary of where we've been, uh, and that'll finish up the Old Testament. And in our reading, we'll be going through First and Second Chronicles as well. In Malachi. Uh, Malachi was the next to the last Old Testament prophet. And every time I say that, I, I get somebody who looks at me and says, well, if it's the last book in the Old Testament, how come it's not the, the last prophet? Well, the last prophet, well, who is the last prophet? Anybody want to volunteer a guess? Yeah, you chickens. <laughs> John the Baptist, he was the last Old Testament prophet. And uh, he was prophesied, in fact, in the book of Malachi, a couple of places, he was. It was prophesied. He would be the forerunner of the Messiah. So when uh, Malachi talks about the messenger that's going to go ahead of the Messiah, that's going to come to the temple, he's talking about uh, John the Baptist. It's coming in the spirit of Elijah. Jesus says, if if you will give this ear, this this is who he was. He was coming in the spirit of John the Baptist. Now, there's also a double filling of this prophecy in the second of end times. Many believe that Elijah will be one of the two prophets that appear at the end times. Uh, again, with the forthcoming of, of, of the second coming of Christ. So, we have uh, Malachi. By the way, his name means messenger. Uh, some people look at it and say, was this the title of the book, Messenger, or is that the author, Malachi? But uh, anyway, we uh, we ascribe it to the, the writing of Malachi, and it was about 400 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's also uh, about 100 years after the people came, the final group came back uh, home from uh, the Persian Empire and Babylonians and stuff as they came back home, the final group coming home. And uh, the reason why I want to emphasize that was there was a revival going on during uh, Jeremiah and and Ezra and and things were were perking up a little bit. And yet here we get to the book of of Malachi about a hundred years later and it seems like everything has fallen apart. In fact, the condition of the people and even within the framework of the priesthood is worse than it was before their deportations, before the the, the, uh, the taking of them into captivities as, as a judgment against their sins. And so their sins seem to be worse now, a hundred years after getting home. You would think it would last longer than that, but uh, it's, it's deteriorated quickly. One of the reasons for that, think about it, is... is when we were going through Nehemiah and all this, we were talking about the temple was being completed and then we're talking about the wall being completed and the city of Jerusalem being built back up. And as we look at all of that, this is about a hundred years after that. Well, they, the people were confident that as the temple was restored and as the walls were restored and the gates were built and put back in place and all that, that Jesus would come. The Messiah would come. And He hadn't come yet. They became... I would say, despondent at, at best and 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 very discouraged uh, in the sense of saying, well, why are we bothering doing all of this? Why do we bother keeping the law? Why do we bother doing it this way or that way? It doesn't matter. And so we have this overview of of expectation of the Messiah, the disappointment that He hadn't come, and, and so now they're returning to their old ways uh, and their old sins. And... If you get into the, the reading, you'll find it says talks about the priesthood bringing their offerings to the temple. And, and, and it says that, uh, well, one of the terms used it is the polluted offerings. The priests bringing polluted offerings. Well, what that was, was that instead of bringing their best in their offerings, they were literally bringing the worst. They were bringing sick animals laying animals. The, the law called for lambs and, and, and offerings and, and, and sacrifices without blemishes. The best of your fruit offerings. The best of your grain offerings. The first fruits and this stuff. Instead, they were bringing polluted. And polluted means uh, in decay or could be the idea of even rotten. Uh, and that was what they were bringing. It showed a totally disregard for... God's laws and the fact that God had delivered them and how many times God had delivered them. Uh, and, and so, uh, as the priesthood goes, then ultimately the people go the same direction and they become with, come along with the same attitude, the same kinds of offerings, keeping the best for themselves. There was an overall, starting with the priesthood again, but it filtered down through all of the people, an overall disregard for, for God's general rules of separation of the Hebrew people. You understand the purpose and the reason for the separation uh, was to preserve the lineage of Christ. Gee, God was p- keeping this uh, protected so that the lineage of Christ would be con- consistent through the Old Testament through Abraham and, and on down through David and 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 all the he the, the throne of David would even be protected as it was uh both through Joseph and Mary's lineage but the idea is that God was was trying to keep this all together and the people are are just they're not even caring at this point and so they're they are going into mixed marriages uh with non-hebrew people uh They're divorcing, the men were divorcing their their wives, which was an abomination to God. And then the actual tithe, even that was being held back. Now, the idea of the tithe in the Old Testament was you you took together all that you had and you gave a tenth of it. And at that point, they, they were thinking, well, all I have left over is this, I'll give a tenth of that. And I recall, even in, in uh, New Testament uh, times, people ask, "Is the tithe required?" There is nowhere in the New Testament that the, says the tithe is required. It talks about giving and giving out of the wealth that God has blessed you with. So you could be giving less, you could be giving more. It's, it was it's it's uh, an outpouring of, of thankfulness and thanksgiving. But there are still. People that regulate within the framework of their congregations and their bylaws the expectation of tithing, and you get the same thing. Do I tithe on my my whole paycheck, my gross pay, or do I tithe on my take-home pay? Well, if I tithe on my take-home pay, then do I have to tithe on my in, my my social security when I get it, or do I save that back and, and tithe on my social security when I get it in that way? And and you know all of these. God, all He's looking for is is, is for people to look at it, set up a standard of giving, and be faithful and consistent with it. And uh, they couldn't even do that. And and they were holding back in so many different ways. And so Malachi is an addressing of all of this. And so you you look at this and and it's kind of uh, discouraging to read through. Um, The... Uh, look at uh, just for instance chapter 3 I I, I wrote down here uh, verses 13 uh, to the uh, I'll say 13 through 15 it says your words have been hard against me says the Lord but you say how have we spoken against you? you have said it is vain to serve God what is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they, they put God to the test and they escape. In other words, they're looking at it and saying, well, God, I didn't do it. I didn't tithe. I didn't do it the way the, they said. And I'm standing here. There was no lightning. So that was almost became the incentive to, to, to keep going in the wrong direction. God didn't punish me you know, for that. You, you said God is going to not bless me if I don't do it, and I'm, I'm doing fine. So, you have this, this attitude building, and uh, it, it keeps going. Yet, in the midst of this, there was a small, faithful group. In fact, the very next few verses in chapter 3 address it. It says, Then those who feared the Lord... Spoke with one another. And when it says feared the Lord, it doesn't mean stood in quaking, you know, but held the Lord in awe and honor and reverence. And and it said, uh, the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And you, you think a book of remembrance is just like your names are written down in glory book, uh, is that? And what this was was basically a, a almost more of a metaphor uh, in the sense that the people would understand because coming out of the Persian cultures that they had all been living in for in some multiple generations and the Babylonian culture, uh, that one of the things that the kings did, in fact, you'll recall the one king reading from the book of record. That's the equivalent of a book of remembrance. It's the same words basically used. And and so when something happened you, you, that was positive, you wrote it down. And you recall Malachi's name got book, written in the book of remembrance, but he never got his reward. And so, you know that that's how that worked. Well, these people's names were written down in the book of remembrance. They would understand. God is you know this picture Micah is giving us is that God is, is acknowledging that we're with Him, that He's honoring us, that He cares for us, He's remembering us. And so uh, it says, A book of remembrance was written down before the Lord of those who feared the Lord and esteemed His name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Uh, it's and, and so you get that, that picture of within the midst of it, There's always seems to be a remnant of faithful people that God is able to look to Hold up as an example of the way things should be and be able to bless them as well. The last chapter of, of, of Malachi, chapter 4, uh, I think you'd have to just say is on the focus of, of the coming of the Lord uh, in, the, in His second coming. The day of the Lord is the second coming of, of, of Christ. And so when you see the day like that, it's, it's the, the emphasis is... He is coming, and it's a guarantee. It's going to happen. He has done this. He will do this. And uh, Malachi ends with a, almost on a sad note, uh, talks about the, the, the... the a positive note it says that the, when the Lord comes, it says the, the hearts of the fathers will be turned to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, which is a good thing, lest I come and strike the land. In other words, this, better, this is the way it should be. Lest I come and strike the land uh, with a decree of utter destruction. And this word "decree of utter destruction" is actually one word uh, in, in the Hebrew, and it's a curse. In other words, if God it says unless I have to come with a curse, a judgment, and I think it's interesting. the last word of the Old Testament literally is curse. in the last book of the Old Testament, just a couple of verses before the last verse in Revelation chapter 22 verse three, there shall be no more curse and and I just just a little side note, one of those things you throw out and, and, and you can go with it and, and think what you will out of it. There are some key verses that I'd like to just a couple of them that I wanted to be sure I shared this morning. The first one is out of chapter one, uh, verse six. This is God speaking. He says, "A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a master, and I am a father, where is my honor?" And if I am a master, where is my fear, or the awe that should be coming with this? Says the Lord of Hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. In other words, where's the honor that should be coming my way? If I'm a, if the Father, why are you not honoring me? If I am your master, why aren't you not serving me? So that kind of sets the stage as you go through the book, uh, the small book of, of Malachi. And uh, in chapter 3, uh, verses 6 through 7, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The Lord says, I do not change. What he's saying is, I made a promise to Abraham, I will keep it. You're not going to be consumed, you're not going to be eliminated. There will always be somebody coming out of your lineages to to do what? To serve the promises that God has made, ultimately ending in, in the coming of Jesus Christ. O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And then this, this very key phrase, return to me? And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. There is a promise. Just come to me. And as much as you come to me, I can come to you. And, and he's, he's, the desire is established when you see that. There's almost a, you almost have a sense of a, of, of a broken heart when you read through these couple of verses here. That I'm your Father and you're not honoring me. I'm your, your Master. You're not serving me. Uh, but return to me. How return to you, and and the desire of God to want to be in that relationship, and to provide and, and do everything that's necessary to bring that relationship about, and ultimately, uh, we see it achieved through Jesus Christ and the cross. But it's, it's just the faithfulness of God in the midst of all of this. There is, uh, as, as you look at this, there is uh, an acknowledgement uh, also for me, I think, in, in, in this uh, chapter 2, uh, a set of verses that really spoke to me. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just do with 7 and 8 this morning. For the lips of a priest should... This was not what was happening. This is what should have been happening. Okay, The lips of the priest should guard knowledge. What is knowledge in, in the Old Testament? It's the wisdom of seeking after him. Wisdom and knowledge go hand in hand together. And it comes through how? Studying the Word. Okay, So, uh, the, the priest's responsibility was to guard the Word of God. To, to protect it. And instead, they were, were, were blaspheming it. Um, and he says, And people should seek instruction from his mouth. People should be coming to the priesthood from instructions. Well, the instructions they were getting were negative in the sense of, 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 well, we'll just do what the priests are doing. We won't even look at them for teaching. If they're going to do this, we can do this. And so they should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, the Lord God Jehovah. He is the messenger. The responsibility of the priest was to be the messenger of Jehovah God. But you have turned aside from the way you have, have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show particularly it in your particular, uh, partiality, excuse me, in your instruction. This verse. Verse 7 really struck me in the sense of looking at the idea of a priesthood because, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, what is the priesthood within the kingdom of God today? Us. All believers. Look quickly at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to go to verse five and and, and read from there. Verse uh, second, First Peter, chapter two, verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Uh, it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe the stone will be the will, will, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Then these key verses here but you those who are faithful to Christ through the cross. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In Micah, I mean in Malachi, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, we're, we're told the priests are to uh, guard the knowledge of God. Our responsibility is to do the same as the priesthood of believers. A royal priesthood. We are to guard the Word of God. And we're to put it into our heart that it guides our path and guards us, guards our heart, guards our mind. We should see, you know, we are people who, uh, newer, newer Christians should be seeking instruction from what? Older Christians, mature Christians. There's other places in Scriptures that talk about that. And then the key to this is that we are the messenger of the Lord of hosts. We are to be, and how many times have you heard this, maybe in revivals and, and evangelistic meetings, we may be the only Christ someone ever sees. And that, that we need to go out and be that in the community. Peter says that this way, we are chosen people. Ephesians chapter one, Paul puts it, "We are a predestined people, chosen before the foundation of the earth." Again, Peter, we are a royal priesthood that brings our sacrifices. What are the sacrifices that we bring? Think about it as what you know of, of of scripture and and sacrifices that we bring. I, the first one that came to my mind was Romans chapter twelve. It says, "I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Paul uh, writing here by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're to bring in worship and to bring our sacrifice. By the way, how do you bring your sacrifice holy before God? Through the blood of Christ. There is no other way. Do not be conformed to this world. These are good words for us today, just as they were words coming out of out of of Malachi's mouth uh, for the people there. You're you're becoming like the world and and the condemnation that went with that. Do not be conformed to this world. And think about it. This is Paul writing in in the first century. That was a problem. Then it's a problem all the way through. It's a problem today. Be transformed. And the word transformed here is the word metamorphosis. You understand the picture of a metamorphosis. We have a couple of key examples normally used for this word in nature. One is the caterpillar to a butterfly. The other one is a tadpole to a frog. But the idea is, is to be changed. And Jesus says, and then Paul repeats, we are a new creature. We are created new. Paul says we're a new creature in Christ. We've been transformed by the renewing of our mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we do all of that? By being in His word and, and allowing His word to become an intricate part of the way we think. We're a royal priesthood. We bring our sacrifices. Uh, we bring our offerings. I think in Hebrews chapter thirteen it talks about uh we bring our sacrifice of praise or our worship of praise. Uh we bring our good works to the throne as an offering. Not because we earn anything, but because we get to honor God. He's allowed us to be this people. You know we weren't that way before. Remember what it said in Second in, in, in Peter chapter two. It says, You once weren't these people. You weren't you weren't saved at one point, but now you are. And so we approach the throne of God not to earn, but in response to what He has done. The, 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 the time of the Old Testament, even in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees and, and, and the way they were presenting, the priesthood, the scribes, the way they were presenting things at the offering had, had not really matured other than the fact that they were being legal about it again. But even in that, they were being corrupt because they were saying, I have earned. They couldn't get it through their, their minds that they, you can't earn the blessings of God. It's a changed heart. They would bring their, their offerings, and, and it's, Jesus said, You'll die, dill and coming, but then you'll go out and, and, and take usury, uh, excess uh, uh, interest on a loan uh, from a poor person. He says it's inconsistent. We were to bring ourselves before the Lord, a sacrifice of praise and worship, and a thanksgiving. He says that we're a holy nation. Peter says we're a holy nation. The word holy here is to be set apart. We were to be and are to be a unique people. Just as the Hebrew people were to be a unique people of God, in their time we are the church are to be a unique people. People separate. People are to look at us, and and ultimately, I think of of, of First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen, that says, "You know, people are going to see the way you are, and and they're going to wonder how come you do things this way, or you talk this way, or you know, you speak this way, or we don't hear you do this, or we don't see you do that. What's what's different? Why aren't why why don't you go along with the norm in this or that?" And Peter says, "That's your opportunity." They've opened the door I because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. You might not ever get a chance to say anything more than that to that person. But that will come back. I know it did for me. And a uh, year and a half later when I heard it again, I was, I was ready to, you know, there's something about this. It's consistent. Jesus Christ is making the difference. And and Why? I don't understand how one man can make such a difference. And you begin to think and to wonder and ponder, and God starts to open your mind to receive His Word and to, and to, to search it. And, and so we are to be a holy, separate people, ready to give testimony at the drop of a hat, what God has done to you and for you. And your testimony needs to be in two parts. I, I, I recall going through this over the years in churches. People give up. You know, We have testimony night. And, and I remember this one person, every single time, he, he got up on one of those nights and he gave the same testimony that he'd given 30 years before and quoted the same Scripture he'd quoted 30 years before and, and, and said, thank you, Lord. Now, that is a testimony. And the fact that he's still faithful to it. But there needs to be something new in your testimony as well. There needs to be something saying, I started here, but I'm here now. This is what God has done recently in my life. He's opened my mind to see or to understand or to know. You know, uh, Through suffering, through other things that God brings into our pathway, uh, our, our, our sharing with other people, they see, how did you get through this? I got through by my faith in Christ. And it's a contemporary current mode of, of uh, thought of your, your testimony we are to proclaim to declare to teach it says the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness the excellencies the the, the great things that god has done what it's, it's and, and and into his marvelous light the whole picture there is the, is a nutshell of the of, of the gospel He called us out of darkness into His light uh, through His excellency, His glory, through Jesus Christ on the cross. The things that He has done for us. And so the gospel is to become part of our daily expression. Like I said, uh, we are to be ready to share our testimony. And and by the way, 3.15 of of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, with gentleness and respect. It's not to come with your you know, King James Bible and knock them over the head with it. Uh, it's, it's to come along quietly and, and just with, again, opportunity share what that is doing for you. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, tells us that in, in the last couple of verses that we are allowed to approach the throne of God and ask for with confidence, with surety, for His mercy and His grace. And if because you believe through Jesus Christ and and, and you've accepted Christ, it's a guarantee. His mercy and grace is there. For whatever the circumstance is, He will meet you with His mercy and His grace sufficient to see you through. A lot of times we're in the midst of things and it's not that we're backsliding or anything. It's just that we're so caught up with what's going on that it takes us a minute, extra minute to think, oh, I, I haven't prayed yet. You know, I need to pray about this. Or, even as you pray about it, with with the assurance that even though I can't see it yet, I know, God, you are there and you're going to bring a resolution through this. And ultimately, you're going to do something that I can't possibly even see now. You're going to turn it to good. It's a promise from Romans 3.28. He will work all things together for good. I was looking at this and, and I was thinking, how can I run through Malachi like this and, 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 uh, and, and sum it up? And, and I, I realized that it's been summed up for me in the Westminster Confession. What is the purpose of man? To enjoy God forever. Well, first, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. We tend to put that in the other way around. We want to enjoy all the benefits of being God and that oh yeah, on Sunday morning give him glory. <laughs> I want to suggest to you that the glorify him should be on our mouth when we wake up when we go to bed and through the day. And on Sunday we come to encourage each other with that and lift him up. Westminster Profession of Faith says a confession of faith says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Uh, not when it's, you know, just convenient, but even in inconvenience, even in difficult times. As we come to communion, I think of This idea of of coming to the the table that says to enjoy him forever. But before we do that, we are to bring him a sacrifice of praise, which is actually to bring him our bodies, a living, holy sacrifice. Which means that we've thought about, as we approach the table, who we are, what we are, the fact that we still live in a sinful flesh and need grace, need forgiveness. As we approach communion this morning, we ask God, forgive us. And maybe as we're singing the song, uh, something will come to mind and you'll be able to to say, and Lord, yes, at that too, forgive me. And thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and the the outpouring of it. And this idea of God outpouring his grace and his mercy on is the idea of more than enough. It says he has abundantly poured it out, which means more than enough. And so we come to the table of of communion with thanksgiving in our hearts, worship in our hearts, and a sacrifice, giving ourselves to Him physically and in worship and praise. Let's go ahead and sing. Book of Matthew. It's recorded. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and, after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He then took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, you I will not drink it again. Of the I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's share. Lord, as we share these emblems together, we just stand amazed that the God of all creation emptied Himself and became flesh. The bread representing your flesh, not just on the cross, but even as a babe in the the manger. You came as as a man. You came in the flesh. You emptied yourself. But not only to come as a man, but a servant of men, even to the point of dying on the cross. But as you make it clear here, there's a time when we will celebrate it again. We also celebrate the resurrection then. The reality that You arose from the grave. Conquered death. And as we rest in You, we can actually rest with the confidence that there's no guilt in those who rest in in, in Christ Jesus their Lord. We thank You. And we look forward to the time when we will be with You face to face. We long for that day. and There are many times where we find ourselves coming, saying, come soon, Lord Jesus. But the reality is, Lord, we are confident You will come at that perfect time and cause us to be faithful as Your servants. Give us the strength. Give us Your words to speak to those around us to encourage, to lift up, to build up, and to even increase Your kingdom. We thank You. We worship You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just stand as we close. And uh, thank You for being with us this morning.
1: Strength will rise rises, we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise rises, we wait upon the Lord.